everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Works in Theory podcast. We've got a special treat for you this month. This month, we have a collaboration with a great podcast called Left Shelf. Uh, it's a similar podcast to Works in Theory, only they go over works of fiction. So yeah, just sit back and enjoy uh, the conversation that Tom, Alicia, and I had with uh, Nino and Ethan from Left Shelf on the short story, The Cartographer Wasps and the Anarchist Bees by E. Lily Yu. Enjoy. Welcome, everybody, to Love Shelf. <laughs> Yo, Nino, have older men been force-feeding you royal jelly? Because you be looking like a queen. Bee? Like a queen bee? Okay, if you, if you had to explain the <laughs> joke. <sighs> I never do these bits. I just get, I get so excited. I think of them, and then I'm like, yeah. this is going to go over so well. It's going to kill it. I'm going to, like, hear it back in, like, a month when the episode comes out. going to be like, you sly dog, Ethan. And I get just, I get in my fucking head. I just get in my head about it. And I fuck it up every time. Whatever. I think Welcome it would have been if you had this. just said Queen Bee. Then there's no, like, the joke is good when there's ambiguity. If there's no yeah, ambiguity to the joke. Queen Bee, that's the pun. It's I can like- just say Queen <laughs> Okay, clearly because you're not, it's not the like humor half of our it's podcasting not. duo. Queen B <laughs> has a double meaning because it's Queen B E E, like you intended. But, but it's I want to call you a, a queen bitch because bee. I like women. Yeah, like a bitch. That's why you but just I like say women. There was a short-lived reality TV show that I watched with my father that was called. I think that was called Queen B. That was a bunch of like evil women. We would just like mm. try to get along with one another and the last person to win would get some money, I think. Or they would all get money. I don't really re- remember, but it was mm. good. That's my point here. Wow, that's amazing. Anyway, today, just to very smoothly transition, we'll mm-hmm. be talking about the cartographer wasps. I can't pronounce this word. Can you help me? Yeah, wait, that was bad. <laughs> Where did you become Canadian? I, oh, no. I've tried all day to say this right. Ah, <laughs> uh, wasp. Wasp. Wasp? Yeah, wasp. Not wasp. Wasp. Okay, the cartographer wasps. Yeah, perfect. And wasps. anarchist bees, really? That takes so yeah. much concentration on my part to say it right. What's up with you? <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> if I fuck up in the future as I can foretell that I will... Just you're just gonna have to cut your listeners. Literally, when you go back and edit it, you should find one instance of you saying it right and just cut out whenever you say it wrong and insert that. (laughs) Just like wasp. Okay, wasp. The cartographer wasp. You may be over pronouncing the p a little. Wasps. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) By E. Lily, you. Who's it by? There you go. So first, we're going to talk about what the book is about, or the piece is about, and then we have a discussion with the three members of Works in Theory Pod, and then we might come back with a little coda, and then that'll oh, be your episode, good folks. word! Thank you! <laughs> that'll be your episode. <laughs> All right, yeah. guys, get hyped for another Left Shelf collab with Works in Theory. But yes, let's get into what the cartographer wasps and Mm -hmm. Anarchist Bees is about. So, it starts with a boy who has a rock and he's like, I want to throw it at birds, but there are no birds to be seen. Okay, first of all, where is this piece set? Oh, in China. It's set in China? Yeah. Iwe, yes, yes, exactly. It's set in Iwe, China. So this boy can't find any birds, but he has a rock. And he's like, all right, there's a 
wasp nest I see in my purview. Let me just throw this rock at it. And thus the story begins. So the boy throws this rock. They discover that when they dip a wasp nest into hot water, beautiful maps of the area emerge, which are immaculate and labeled in perfect Mandarin. And so the humans go around hunting down the wasps, but the wasps fashion a boat and escape, yeah, escape across the river and uh, find themselves in this new territory where some bees live. But the wasps are like, no, (laughs) we control this area now. And you bees either have the choice between being enslaved or you give us like part of your food and every 10th or no, every 100 larva that is born so that we can train it and have it be one of us. And the bees try to protest, but then their protests get squashed. That's good, like a bug. Like a bug, yeah. And they become subjects of the wasp rule. Yes. Should I take over? Yes. So yes, so at this point, the wasps are raising the bees who are their... What's that term? Not ransom, but there's a term when you like trade over your children to another power. Whatever. They're teaching those bees the ways of the wasps, which include like astronomy, cartography, the kind of like high-end erudite Mm. ways of the world. Mm -hmm. And then into this like new world is born a bee who is an anarchist. And she happens to be one of the bees who is handed over to the wasps. She gives birth to 20 boy bees, sun bees, male Sons, bees. Yes. And that's interesting. Maybe we can, <laughs> when we talk about gender later on, we can, we can talk about that. Yeah. And then she dies. Those sons go back to the hive where the bees are. Mm-hmm. They, a few of them are able to uh, mate with the new queen to like continue this anarchist mutation as it's called and before they die they they like write down theory so like the conquest of bread but in bee language <laughs> and then from there like there are anarchists who are begun who are born into this community they eventually form a like splinter community and leave the hive during winter to try to create this world that is divergent from the kind of like imperial policies of the bees but also the or the imperial policies of the wasps but also the monarchy of the bees and so they try to form their own community winter comes and they all die but in the intervening time nina what's been happening with the bees and the wasps back at home okay so remember the boy i mentioned in the beginning well turns out he has a sister and she was a university student But she came home for a minute and she found out that the people in her village had discovered all these beautiful maps that the wasps had been making. And so she was like, I need to get in on this action because she studies biology, biology. Yes, she studies something related at university. And so basically, well, wait, wait, that's not quite right, right? Because she wants to breed them. Because yes. they've like hunted the wasps basically so that they're gone. And she's like, wait, but you can make like a business out of this. Because she wants mm-hmm. to breed them so that Iwe can like export a constant supply of these wasps and these wasps, these wasp maps as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So she goes on a journey to find like some remaining nests of this wasps and she finds This one specific wasp hive that had taken over the bees and removes them from the bee region. And when the bees wake up, the wasps are just gone. The spring has come and the wasps have not come. So (laughs) anyway, so the bees send out patrols to just scout around the area and They, unfortunately, around the borders, find their fallen anarchist brethren who have all died. And 
they look around and they see like all these words of revolution written where these anarchist bees were and one of the remaining bees says to the other right as in w-r-i-t-e and that is how the piece ends yeah so i think now we're gonna get into our talk with works and theory so we'll we will see you on the other side people Well, I mean, first, let's begin with like introductions. <laughs> so we have our guests now, and we'd love for them to introduce themselves. Yeah, sure. So we are the hosts of Works and Theory podcast. It's a podcast similar to Left Shelf, only we cover like nonfiction works, like specifically works of theory. And uh, we try to discuss them and break them down into like more layman's terms. None of us are experts in reading theory or anything. So we like to try to give the best understanding we can give in a casual way. And my name's Nate, and I'm out here in Salem, Oregon. And my ho- my co-hosts are Tom and Alicia. Do either of you want to say anything? Yeah, I'm Alicia. Yeah, we do Works in Theory podcast, and it's nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, everybody check yeah, out is. Works in Theory. <laughs> so, so for this week, for this week, we read The Cartographer Wasps and the Anarchist Bees. By E. Lily Yu, a reclusive <laughs> author of which nothing is known. So let's get into it. I think she actually keeps bees. Oh, does she? Yeah, is she a beekeeper? A beekeeper. I'm, I'm pretty sure she's an actual beekeeper. <gasps> Apparently, this piece is like heavily no. influenced by, <laughs> by like actual research on like bees and wasps. Yeah, and how they tend to socialize. Yeah. Yeah, she's cool. Oh, so cool. I know she seems really cool. I wish there was more that we knew about her. She's just in the yeah. Because like somewhere. I just read some of her like <laughs> yeah. written interviews. I couldn't find any like of any of her actually speaking. But even the transcript of her interviews, it's like so eloquent. I don't know the way she responds. It's like even her interview answers about her life are like very poetic and descriptive. And I was like, wow. Get a room. Get her. <laughs> I'm your co-host, not her. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, so I was surprised about how good this season. Yeah, she's really talented. I was surprised about how much I enjoyed this piece. Um, you know, I know you enjoyed it too. I'm assuming our guests also quite liked it because they didn't cancel on us because they <laughs> hated it. Yeah, we didn't, pro- <laughs> didn't have to register our protest vote or anything. Yeah, I'm here to, to talk about how much I disliked it. Oh, that's great. That makes me so spicy. <laughs> Tom, we're waiting now. <laughs> I know. I should have. I should have been like lone dissenting voice. I mean, it's totally fair if you did. It was kind of ambiguous, I feel like. But yeah, we can talk about it. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that's a good place to just begin because it is very ambiguous. So like, what did you guys like think of the ending of this piece? Is it like a happy ending? Is it a sad ending? Is it realistic to like... Can we take things from the bees and put them into the human? Well, I might uh, note that we sometimes take honey from bees, but I don't think that's your question, right? (laughs) (laughs) So in the ending, basically, the wasps have been pretty much killed off by the humans. And the bees wake up in the spring and they see there's no more wasps and then they fly around. So these are not the anarchist bees that are remaining, right? But they fly to like where the wasp nest was and they see that there are some bees there that are dead. And those were all the anarchist bees. And they see also on the walls like great, I don't know, writings of the history and works in theory. (laughs) Yes. And then one bee looks to the other bee and they're like, right, as in W-R-I-T. And that's how the piece ends with like the bees, I guess, kind of free and like to learn from all of this theory. Oh, yeah. I was just thinking, of you know, it's it's basically like 
there are three states, I guess. There's what the beehives, the wasps that invade, and then the humans. And the humans essentially just like solve the bees problem by taking the wasps away. There's like no real big resolution to that. But in the in the mix of it, right, there's like you said, there's the the anarchist bees or whatever that that end up splintering off from the wasp and the bees. But I thought that was that was a pretty interesting kind of like thing if you think about it in the sense of like three competing states and it just happens to be that the human state is the biggest one and it just (laughs) takes easily takes the wasps so yeah so i i was reading humans oddly enough as this like primordial force of nature the kind Mm -hmm. of natural world in this piece from which the like civilizations of the bees and the wasps have to contend and like in a traditional marxist like analysis i was kind of reading like the bees as the kind of beginning governance of the world in which they're like this monarchist feudalist group. And then you have like the wasps who can come in as this more enlightened, maybe not capitalist exactly, but more like rationalist and imperialist power who can like supplant the old world and then bring in the new. But then again, in a kind of like traditional Marxist idea, capitalism falls because it can't handle its own contradictions and like the wasps produce these goods that are useful that then lead to their own downfall which i was reading is kind of like analogous to maybe climate change or like world war in a like human view and then through the destruction of capitalism you get this like anarchism that like rises up so i don't know if if you was like writing from this kind of marxist retelling but it like really fit for me i don't know if anyone else got the same i think originally i also read it that way that like the humans are almost like nature and the wasps kind of have to like i guess create their life around this like greater force that they will never understand but instead of i guess like thinking about their surroundings they kind of just start dominating like the bees without really, I don't know, thinking about like the greater world around them. And it kind of comes to like bite them back in the ass, exactly kind of like Ethan mentioned with climate change. But then I also had a different reading. I don't know if this is like fully supported by the text. I feel like this is kind of a stretch. But I also thought that maybe the humans could be kind of like a god in the sense that the wasps are like driven to like dominate because of this like because of humans. I don't think this is like a great analogy, but it kind of could be like the crusades, you know, like I don't know, in the name of religion that the like wasps then go take over like the rest of the world or not the rest of the world, but the the territory of like the bees. And then It's also in a weird way that like the wasps get punished for pursuing like science and education. I don't know. Some elements of that felt a little bit like religious and like biblical to me. I don't think this is at all supported by the text, but I had like a little inkling. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, I I just was thinking about the state thing. I think that's an interesting idea of the humans being nature or maybe even gods it does kind of make sense because they're so oversized right in comparison to the wasps there's no choice no chance but um there is so much in the writing about the motivation of the humans right where they're like oh we want to make maps and like we want to basically use the bees the wasps for our own gain it seemed to me like uh, that's why i read it like as a just a much more powerful state basically it's just like a state with a huge military if you could think of it that way where no one has any chance really of uh, standing up to them. But they are, like, in a real sense, so big that there's not really, that doesn't really work as cleanly as saying it's nature. I think that's a good, a good take, too. Yeah, I, uh, I, I definitely read the humans as being, you know, either nature or, like, maybe God or, or something, certainly outside of the, the bees and the wasps' control, right? Like, the wasps, when they're initially, when they're like, Society is initially destroyed by the humans. Like they don't even. It doesn't even 
occur to them to try to do something about the humans per se, right? Like it's almost as if it's totally outside of their control. And I think that it's an interesting idea, the idea of them being like punished or something for pursuing science. I had like a similar reading. I wasn't necessarily thinking along the lines of a god, more like more like nature or natural forces. But it is like the fact that they are making the maps that leads to their demise, right? Because it's not that the humans want to make maps, it's that they want to take the maps that the wasps are making. And yeah. my reading of it was like less like a, a god punishing humans for like scientific enlightenment or something like that, and more like what is a map? It's like you are taking something that exists in the real world and sort of like reducing it down to an abstraction. I, I saw this as linked with the wasps' sort of imperial ambitions. It's like they want to sort of take the land, right, and like force it into a map. And I think I read that as like almost a hubris on the part of the wasps that was direct, what directly led to their downfall. Whereas the bees, who don't make anything like that, who neither, you know, who don't have the science, they don't even really make things as far as we see. Like the humans don't even ever think of the bees. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I, there is something very like complicated about this idea of them creating maps, that the wasps create maps, which are prized by this higher power. Um, and they are punished for their ambitions. I don't know. I, I also, I found it kind of difficult to get a concrete reading on it just because it doesn't quite work as a direct allegory between humans and themselves. There's like something more there that I'm missing, but maybe that's just what makes it like fantasy <laughs> is that there is this like added wonder that doesn't correlate directly to the human world, but it's there anyway, just to add things. I also feel like I could benefit from reading more fiction but to just frame this for you're gonna do you're gonna lead in with a summary of the book but something we haven't really defined yet in our conversation is kind of the beginning and how the relationship between the wasps and the humans existed before they were like exiled or escaped or whatever that was but yeah. they just kind of coexisted or there was tension between the wasps and the humans yeah there is this weird like uneasy piece that the wasps and the humans have for a bit in which they are like seemingly interacting or they're at least like in the same space. And I guess the idea is, is that the humans don't want to take material losses, I guess, by like getting attacked by the wasps because they don't think that there's anything in it for them. But once they realize that there's maps, it's like immediately they're ready to like take over everything. So yeah, there is something in the human-wasp relationship that isn't directly correlated to like a nature versus man relationship. But yeah, it's kind of difficult to puzzle out. But So I think it could be instructive to look at like basically the one time that any of the animals in the story reference the humans. And even then, it's not exactly a direct reference. But I'm thinking about what the the wasp foundress says as like their motivation for leaving the spot where the humans had destroyed their society. And right, she says, we will not make the same mistakes as before. Ours is a race of explorers and scientists, cartographers and philosophers, and to rest and grow slothful is to die. Once we are established here, we will expand. And so I think it's kind of interesting, like, I'm not exactly sure what it means, but to, it seems like from the foundress's point of view, it was something about being slothful or like failing to expand that caused the humans to attack yeah. them. Yeah. And so they're, yeah, like God was punishing them maybe for being slothful and that, that instead, like what God wanted them to do was like a manifest destiny kind of thing that like they needed to expand and claim new territory. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree. I'd also love to maybe in the, cause we're kind of, attacking this topic from different yeah. angles. I don't know if anyone had an answer to this. I was trying to figure out why it was set in China because it's not it's written in English. I mean, I know that she's Chinese American, mm -hmm. but it's not as though this was written in mainland China and then translated to English here. It was written in English. So I was wondering like what is like what is gained by putting this piece in China? I couldn't quite puzzle it out. Yeah, I, I thought that was interesting too. We like touched briefly on like what what we would categorize this this piece as, like whether it's like fantasy or magical realism. And like the inclusion of like the real country of China makes it seem like it's magical realism because again, they it could have just been set anywhere or nowhere, right? 
they didn't have to mention that the wasps maps were written in mandarin but yeah i'm not sure exactly what that means but it certainly seems important yeah i definitely didn't have any sort of lengthy thoughts about chinese culture specifically just having read that the author is chinese american was like okay cool we're just we're setting it specifically here because i think that often if it's not if the setting's not described and i'm reading it in english and it's an american author like i kind of just assume that it's got an american setting so i think being explicit about that added another sort of layer to the world that was created but we were talking a lot about how specifically the bees or the wasps express themselves in mandarin and i was wondering if anyone tied that back to the idea of the humans as like a larger driving force clearly the wasps are paying very close attention to the humans even though their relationship is so fragile yeah i'd like to say one more thing about mandarin which is that it seems like it's like i think that the like the most salient feature of the wasps is their imperialism like that is like in my mind like definitely what they represent in the story they're like a group of people that went or wasps that went to like another area and was like all right this is ours now you pay us you know tribute and all that and in the what is now the country of china you know obviously uh, is made up of like dozens of different ethnicities that at one point had like dozens of different languages which at this point you know are like very largely being supplanted by mandarin so it could be like a tie to imperialism there and maybe like the reason for not doing english which obviously is another language of imperialism is uh because it was for an american audience that wouldn't that would maybe like just skip over the fact that they were in english you know and not like like register that in the same way but this might just all be speculation on my part i think that there's something very weird about the wasps producing maps that are obviously useful to them but seem to be almost as if not more useful to the humans as it like labels places in the world that the humans would like to get to whether it's other human villages or like natural things that they didn't know about so uh, yeah i got this idea too that the humans seem to be this like this almost like zeitgeist defining thing that then the wasps want to emulate because they don't seem to benefit very heavily from the maps they were able to use them to avoid death originally but their only use seems to just be to produce them for humans so i don't know it did seem kind of like allegorical in a way that these wasps like imagine themselves this imperial power but the, like their production their purpose of life seems to be entirely connected to making things for humans to then use it was odd in that way i saw that you know i picked up on that relationship too and, and to me i think it, it actually ties in yet again to like the sort of imperialism frame right is like this idea of like quote unquote more advanced civilization coming and like trying to quote unquote better the native population right which is like more i don't know for lack of a better term animistic right like the bees don't make maps but they still communicate directions to each other through dance. And, you know, it's like a much more like embodied knowledge versus like the strict, like, frankly, like Western science of the wasps that like reduces the territory to the map, you know, that they insist on teaching the native population how to write in their language, right? How to read and write. And I think that there's like a certain reading of the piece, which is just like simply like, well, that's what's going to lead to our downfall, right? There's no climate change without Western science. There's no environmental degradation yeah you know, western well science. and that kind of so i think that brings us into another topic that i definitely wanted to talk about and it's the idea that the first anarchist bee this female who's raised in the wasps kingdom or i guess yeah and taught their ways that she is the one who becomes an anarchist and it's difficult to say whether she's kind of racially ordained in the same way that the bees as a whole are tend like they tend toward monarchy if she just doesn't and so therefore she's an anarchist or if it's kind of a combination of this like eastern or pre i guess like pre-western mode of thinking that the bees embody that's then combined with this western knowledge of the wasps that creates this kind of new theory so yeah so i was kind of wondering what you guys thought about the first anarchist bee like where does she come from how is she kind of born into that world yeah i think you're spot on ethan i i saw like uh there's a 
the part where they first introduce the the anarchist bee, where they say something like the mutation was viable. Yes, that's that's exactly what they say, right? And so, like the idea of a mutation being viable is like mutations happen in the genetic code more or less all the time. But what like will determine if it persists in the species is whether like it's is like particularly adaptive to the environment. And so, I think the idea here is that maybe there were you know there were bees being born with the anarchist gene for generations, but like in the sort of like self-enclosed, more or less safe, more or less stable society that they lived in prior to the wasps showing up, like these mutations just simply weren't viable and didn't go anywhere. And you were hinting at Ethan, it's like, it's the very presence of the wasps and the imposition that like makes this mutation viable. And, you know, it might not have, like, ironically, it might not have ever been a thing if not for the like hyper hierarchical imperialist wasps and i'm also kind of on the fence about this it is like is anarchy the anarchy gene i guess as we would call it is that actually useful in the bee world i think that it has the potential to change but all of those because uh, i mean the original anarchist goes on to create more but they're unable to live on their own they kind of leave to create this new world free from this oppressive monarchy of the bees, but also of this kind of imperialist power of the wasps. But then they all die. <laughs> and I guess that their ideas are passed on, but with that ambiguous ending, it's hard, it's hard to tell whether or not they'll actually change their world. So I don't know. I was just kind of wondering that too, if like anarchy was actually useful to the bees after all. Yeah, I thought so. I, th- I thought that was interesting, right? And it's it's like not clear whether the story is supposed to be like pro anarchism or not. So. I might be reading too much into a single line here, but there's a line when the anarchists first leave the hive to start their own hive, where it says, none had seen a winter before, but the memory of the species is subtle and long, and in their hearts, despite the summer sun, they felt an imminent darkness. And I think that, or I interpreted this as sort of like a, almost like, you know, do you walk away? And I think that the idea here is that, in my mind, the anarchists failed, quote unquote, because they walked away, because they like, we're like, we don't need anything from the old society. Whereas one can imagine like if they had been surrounded by like a bunch of other bees who knew what to do to prepare for winter, they might have survived. And so like I saw it as an endorsement of like building anarchism within the society you live in, you know, not going off and trying to start a commune all on your own and like assuming that you don't need any of that like knowledge of your elders or anything like that. But again, it's that's reading a lot into one line. So yeah, I kind of just wanted to agree with both of you as well. And I think that something that does happen in the story ties those ideas together again, because, you know, the the anarchist bees that tried to make their own colony did, they died off, whether that was because of lack of preparedness or some like freak of nature, like a bear or something like who knows, is a short line, it leaves it open to interpretation. But tying into the ways that leftist movements are trying so hard to learn more from history and like, trying so hard, I would like to believe anyway, to, you know, try to really undo some of the mistakes of the past and move past them. There is the potential there that since the bees who discovered the scrolls left by that first anarchist colony don't have the same like ego wrapped up in it, you know, they weren't descendants directly of the very first anarchist bee, they can just look at those ideas again through maybe a different perspective, especially without the pressure of the wasps, even though that was useful at the beginning in inspiring perhaps like this anarchist gene to dominate, that pressure is gone so they can reflect a little bit differently on that history and maybe move on into a beautiful bee utopia based on this new spark. I agree. There is something very, very interesting about the fact that the bees don't, the regular, that's the like monarchist bees, don't seem to learn maybe what they were supposed to learn from the wasp incursion because like they just wake up after the long winter and it's like the wasps are gone and the piece mentions like the bees view it almost as this as as if the wasps weren't there and so yeah so i don't know it's if this piece is making a mention it, it is like trying to push us toward the idea that anarchism is just this like natural progression from capitalism which, I mean, maybe by a different word, if you called it more communism, maybe Marx would have endorsed. If like the material conditions of the bees are met and they're no longer being pushed by like this outer 
imperialist power to develop against them, that they'll just return to their own ways. So if you like apply that to humans, it does seem kind of pessimistic (laughs) that like maybe there isn't this natural progression and that the anarchist bees were wrong to leave the hive and they like were supposed to remain and agitate within. Yeah. So like, I think that that the ending is supposed to imply that the bees are not just going to go back to how they were before. Like, I think it's important that the very last thing that happens in the book is like one bee says to the other, write. And like, what do we know about writing? It, that no bees knew how to do it until the wasps were there. And so like the bees are forever changed in a way, I think. And I think that it is supposed to be a hopeful ending in saying that like, like, I don't know if the rest of you got this impression, but with the exception of the anarchists, the bees are kind of pathetic. They, they like don't put up any resistance really to the wasps. And it even mentions when they wake up that first spring without the wasps that like the queen is actually like a little sad for the wasps to be gone. And I think that, that the anarchist gene is supposed to be like either like, I don't know, maybe it's in the, the, the bee population or maybe it's more of like the culture has been changed because the wasps, wasps are there. But I think that the idea is sort of the bees didn't know, they didn't know that they were you know, living in a monarchist society until there was like an even more hyper hierarchical society that ruled over them. And that sort of like opens their eyes to the society they were living in before. And through dialectics, you know, it's it's not going to be the same society. It's like the synthesis is the new society that they're living in. The synthesis, I guess, between what they learned from the wasps, what they had in their own culture to begin with, and what they learned from what the anarchists have written. Do we... I guess that we do feel like this piece is hopeful. I was so, I just felt that it was so ambiguous that I was having a hard time going one way or the other. I would like to think again that we can take this kind of Marxist view of the world in which, while these things maybe aren't natural, that there is this progression that is like pushed by the kind of tension of these both physical and mental contradictions that arise in different cultures. And that progression will lead us toward more egalitarian, like a more egalitarian world. But I just, I just don't know if I trust that the bees are actually going to do it because of the things that we kind of talked about earlier about how that there seems to be an anarchy gene and that the other bees are missing it or that it's not viable in times of peace. I just felt as though maybe we shouldn't or that I like shouldn't be hopeful for the future of like the bee world. <laughs> the sad fact is I've lost my mind. You all say I've crossed a line. And the sad fact is I've lost my mind. All right. Thank you. Tom, Alicia, and Nate from Works in Theory for bearing with us and discussing the piece. We unfortunately ran into some technical issues, so we weren't able to cover all the questions that we wanted to get through, but we still appreciate We're going back to basics. Yeah. (laughs) We do appreciate the effort as well, yeah. But yeah, so let's let's keep up the party going. Actually, Ethan, you mentioned question that was like why was this piece set in china and i mean just to follow up with a comment on that question is that (laughs) for some reason i feel like the like language or language in general seemed really important in this piece because the wasps could speak perfect mandarin but there was also the ua dialect and there seemed to be no friction between the wasps and the bees when they communicated with each other. Like, they seemed to be able to speak the same language. But then there was also that dimension of language, of, like, the written language that was different between the bees and the wasps. And the wasps were pretty much illiterate or had to be taught through some pheromones. The bees did, yeah. Oh, the bees were illiterate and had to be taught through some pheromones how to read and write, but they did speak the same language, which was also curious to me. I have nothing to say about that. I never <laughs> even considered I never even considered that. Yeah. Yeah. The whole piece is kind of weird too, because like it's clear that the wasps have some it's well the the wasps know Mandarin, but then they can't mutually mm-hmm. communicate with people. 
and and we mm-hmm. we touched on this in our interview, but like the whole interaction between the people and the wasps is kind of hard to parse if you if you're like reading this as a history, like as a kind of Marxist rundown of history. Mm-hmm. There are some things that don't quite fit. So yeah, I I agree. There is some some things that the author's doing with language in the piece that are odd. Mm-hmm. It's odd who who can and can't communicate and yeah. for what purpose. Yeah. So, and maybe that's kind of the point that she's making that just like communication on its own isn't useful because the bees and like the the wasps and the people can communicate through writing, but be, mm-hmm. but the people aren't interested in that because they would rather just use the writing for economic benefit. So there's something about like communication as economics and things like that. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's like another reason why the humans as gods almost in this piece made sense to me even though we shot down shot down that idea it is because like the wasps and the humans communicated like through writing and not through speech in the same way we kind of not communicate but we have like the bible for instance yeah but we can't like directly we don't like directly speak to a god but the fact that the wasps and the bees could speak to each other signals some more sort of like same speciesness more at least like more similarity than like you know the humans and the wasps even though in the in the short story they're kind of characterized all of these species are characterized as having like intelligence there's still a difference between like where the humans are and where these insects are so i don't know yeah there's a lot of different readings on like what the humans represent but yeah. And then the other question I wanted to talk about is kind of the role of gender in the piece. And I think that came up for me in a lot of places. For example, at the beginning of the of the short story, it's the boy who throws a rock at the wasps. But then it's the girl that kind of saves that. So the boy kind of causes the wasps to, I guess, disperse. And like he... He's the one that causes this like domination or is the first link that causes the wasps to dominate the bees. But then the girl, his sister, kind of does the opposite. Or when the wasps, sorry, when the first anarchist bee gives birth, it's all the sons. But then the sons return and die. And then it's like the sisters and the daughters that kind of propagate this knowledge. And that is kind of like very... I guess distinctly stated in the in the short story and also for example the wasps are ruled I guess by a queen as as are the bees yeah but most of the like diplomats are men or so it would appear and so I guess well the the ambassadors are female but you're oh, right that like the kind of like cadre around the bee queen those are all men mm-hmm. yeah so I don't know. I just thought it interesting because it was like very explicitly, I feel like identified in the piece. And so I don't know if you had any opinions on what it all meant. Well, I didn't think about the gender of the people. I think that's quite interesting mm-hmm. that the boy, the boy's older sister doesn't, she doesn't really save like the bees on purpose, right? I mean, I guess she is taking on a traditional female role. In the fact that she's well, like trying like to hurt the bee on purpose, the wasps. Yeah, I agree. But well, I guess if we're doing like a gendered reading right now, I feel as mm-hmm. though he maybe represents the like initial push of imperial like power, where it's like a swift attack mm-hmm. that's kind of designed to like crack open the like nest from which you can take the either natural or like man-made commodities of a people but then the daughter isn't doesn't necessarily represent like the traditional feminine role of like peace or like mutual aid but she's the kind of second wave of like an imperial Mm -hmm. push in which she is then like actually overseeing the wasps on her own and then breeding them in an effort to use them for her own purposes. But like a softer, less overt type of yeah. kind of well, imperial and, push. Mm-hmm. And I mean, and again, I didn't think about this beforehand. So I am kind of talking out of my ass as I go. 
But yeah, because I just didn't, you, you've definitely brought up this thing that I didn't even think about, but that is kind of the way that traditional imperialism would go is mm-hmm. that let's say it's like the British in like Ceylon, let's say, or was that the French? I don't know. But well, the Nigeria. men would come. Okay. Yeah. Like the men would come first and there'd be like battles and wars and trade routes opened and people kidnapped and things like that Mm -hmm. and then afterwards the women would come the families would come and they wouldn't necessarily make or yeah Mm -hmm. yeah it's like they wouldn't be making things better but they would just be coming to then integrate into this culture that's not their own and to like Mm -hmm. hijack it for their own their own purposes so that is kind of interesting i don't know if that was meaningful when the author chose those two genders Mm -hmm. but it does kind of represent like the two waves by which like a dominant culture takes over a dominant culture takes over like another culture that has untapped like natural or man-made commodities Mm -hmm. in that way yeah i agree and i guess in like a similar historical reading Maybe that's why the first the first offspring of the anarchist bee were all men, just because like historically we associate a lot of men with anarchism, like Kropotkin or Proudhon or Bakunin or whoever. As as with most, I guess philosophers, most Western philosophers, that is kind of like based historically the known philosophers are kind of from like this male tradition but then the actual people who continue to like spread the word or like continue the education are not necessarily women but are kind of more the lay folk i guess or what they or what they're supposed to represent so yeah that's kind of how i interpreted the gender as well is like from this historical well and the piece also somewhat swaps roles because in the bee and wasp world, the women are generally the ones who will rise higher. I think it's a bit more equitable mm-hmm. than, in a, than in the human world, oddly enough, because like both animals in the real world are very like gender separated. But in the piece, I think it's even more equitable than the human world. But in that way, I felt as though if you're like reading it as the generals are a little bit reversed, it's interesting because like the men maybe like women in the real world are the ones who kind of work the praxis almost that come up with a baseline theory because like mm-hmm. like amongst humans it's like women do tend I, I don't want to make this kind of broad claim but it's like i think that a lot of baseline theories that that like people came up with were determined by like watching women work by like watching women at home and things like that and there's that Le Guin essay about how like man's tool is the stick and how women's tool is the gathering bag. Um, and I think that there's some truth to that. Mm-hmm. And so maybe E. Lily Yu is kind of flipping it on its head and making the males in the piece the, the like the kind of forebearers of theory. And then they give birth to women who are educated amongst the wasps who are then able to like write it down in a way that can be read mm-hmm. by everybody else. So yeah, so that's also kind of a reading, like a possible reading as almost like a reversal of the way that humans operate. Yeah. And then, I don't know, we were also kind of discussing previously how like we weren't sure if this was like a hopeful piece because the anarchist bees like die at the end, <laughs> right? And you were like, okay, what does this mean? Because they all die. So I did want to explore the ending a little bit because like after reading it, after reading the story several times, I, and maybe I'm just a naive little girl, but little girl, girl, but I still came away with this piece, like feeling hopeful. And my interpretation of the ending is that the piece kind of places a lot of importance on history and on this type of, I guess, communal memory that is almost codified in this anarchist gene. And 
this type of like erudition. And I think for me, the kind of lesson at the end of this short story was that we kind of need to continue trying and continue failing and learning from the mistakes and remembering those mistakes, but not giving up, right? So seeing that our brothers, anarchist brothers, failed in their quest to like find independence, maybe writing down like the emotions with which like they approached the revolution, but like doing it better the next time around and like kind of continuing in this iterative process of like not forgetting that we were under the control like this is something that we all kind of wanted to make our lives better and then how can we actually get there for those who've like remained living i don't know do you yeah. feel me or <laughs> i mean like, again no? to take a peek behind the curtain us talking about this isn't taking place right after we had our interview so i have had some time to think about it more and i don't know i think mm -hmm. maybe my new reading is that we need like a b mao and i'm not even really kidding when i say that <laughs> that i yeah. think maybe my reading and again i have no idea what use actual politics are but just taking mm -hmm. from what the from the kind of themes of the piece it's that like these anarchists try to break away as opposed to like mm -hmm. subverting the the state and turning it into like a post-revolution culture and maybe that's where they go wrong is that is that the anarchists yeah. can't properly do that because every because like the state like has been built for them to use and to try to create a new one like to try to create a new culture without everything that's been built for them is like a tall task mm -hmm. and so maybe the end of the piece is hopeful because there will be revolution at home that doesn't seek to break away but like seeks to create something new within yeah. the hive that's there already and yeah. that's maybe where the hope for the bee culture comes and the hope for humans too yeah i agree i actually noticed that too but i wasn't sure like just whether this piece was critical of <laughs> anarchism or whether it was trying to support anarchism yeah. i wasn't sure because I feel like that is something that I noticed too, especially in relation to the fact that this does take place in China, right? And it was like explicitly stated that it takes place in China. And when the scouting bees that survive find the dead bees, they say like they noticed that there was no leader, that everything was kind of in disarray. And they just found the anarchist bees like dead like that. And that's felt like a very overt criticism to me of the fact that like there was a complete lack of organization in the anarchist yeah. base. And I wasn't sure about if I could like take it as far as like, oh, you wanted to make a statement about Mao <laughs> in support of Maoism. <laughs> but I feel like it's there. It's there. It's there. You can take it or leave it. But I think you... <laughs> That reading is definitely I there. mean, yeah, again, like my personal political journey is kind of like it's like weirdly mirrored in this piece in a, in, in a little ways because like there's mm -hmm. so many beautiful things about these ideas of like anarchism of just immediately moving toward a world of like equitability and like no gods, mm -hmm. no masters and all of these things. And I think that most like most communists want that kind of world. But yeah. then it's like, you look at the way things are now, and if you look at the wasps as this overlord capitalistic force that's then, that's like overbearing, and then you look at the bees as this kind of competing, overbearing, monarchistic force. Like, mm -hmm. anarchism can't just, like, there's no land left for anarchism to become something. And so, like, mm -hmm. my own political journey has kind of moved in that same way where it's, like, I really think that, like, anarchism is this beautiful thing that you put away and you hope that you can make this, like, really beautiful world and then you can open it back up. Like, not that there's, not mm -hmm. that there's nothing to take from anarchism. And I think that that's the point you, it's, like, 
making too, is that there are things to take from this anarchist ideology, but the bees don't survive because they don't have a hive to, that they, yeah. they like bit off way more than, than they could chew and the bees don't live through the winter. So to live through the winter, I think that there has to be a like complete revolution that can then right. use what has been made for the good of the worker bees and the, you know, worker people. Yeah. And I feel like what ac- actually exacerbates that point is that the anarchist bees died because of winter, because of a natural occurrence, not because of some imperialist power, not because of some other outside force like the wasps or the humans. Like they literally died because they couldn't survive the winter. And I feel like that is kind of like a strong criticism or like of these anarchist bees is like they not only could they not survive like the existing violence of the imperialist forces, but they couldn't even survive the like natural world. Yeah, the natural world, the inimical environment that just exists, the inimical environment that just exists in the world through the limited like their tools were just too limited to even like come yeah. to terms with that yeah so. well and and i just think that if you look at the real world that's what often happens with like these anarch. i mm-hmm. mean the anarchists in spain the anarchists in mexico though they're holding on more it's like they either are kind of crushed or they die on their own or they have to adopt these more like they have to adopt a kind of militancy and like a top-down organization that isn't necessarily antithetical to their beliefs, but isn't something that they would like to do. But they have to do that in Mm -hmm. response to a harsh world. And so maybe that's what she's, she's telling us that we should be doing just like the bees is that the bees take the bees take the like theory and then in praxis, they're going to take over the hive, kill the queen and live long, beautiful lives. Exactly. And like you said, I mean, that anarchism is kind of this beautiful idea that you strive for and you kind of put away for the moment. It's like the bees that survive, they take that fervor, right? And they take that revolutionary energy from the bees that died and they take their ideas. But yeah, they try to at least implement it in yeah. a different way. Can you see? Yeah, so I mean, I, I guess it's a good end to our discussion. It was good. It was interesting. <laughs> I feel like I notice something new every mm-hmm. time I read it, which is good. I just would have loved the opportunity to talk to the author, but she's just busy all the time being an yeah. apiculturist, I guess. Because yeah, I would. It's 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 almost even more difficult because when you read when we read libs like Lori Moore and no offense, Ishiguro. Mm-hmm. And they say things that could be leftist. It's like very easy to be like, oh, no, they don't mean that. It's yeah. this, this isn't like a clever cultural critique. This is just them like battling against the limits of their own ideology. But with her, we got yeah. no idea. There's We have no idea who she is. She doesn't give interviews very often. It's hard to piece together where she lies. So I would have loved to have been able to talk to her to have learned a bit about who she is. Because there are pe- like bits of this piece that, like we were talking about with the ending, where it's it's hard to tell. Mm-hmm. And we don't need the author there, but it would be nice. Well, I mean, also just to hear about like how her politics influence her mm-hmm. writing process. Because, yeah, we like interpreted it in this way because I feel like it's reflective of, like you mentioned, your political journey. Mine too, mm-hmm. probably. I, I am I'm, I'm like a few steps behind always playing catch up with the boys <laughs> I'll get there <laughs> I was left just first but it's okay <laughs> yeah it would have been interesting to see like how she planned out this piece based on like what she believes yeah. in her head anyway that's it for this week <laughs> yeah thanks for tuning in everybody thanks for mm-hmm. bearing with us yeah well, folks should check out our podcast works in theory you can find it online at Works Theory Pod on Twitter and just Works in Theory Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. We try to put out uh, episodes every month and hopefully soon we're going to be doing it more frequently than that. You know, we got a back catalog you can check out. So if you're interested in like leftism, anarchism, and especially 
if you are interested in left theory but have no interest in reading it, I would highly suggest you check out Works in Theory podcast. And thank you both for having us on. Uh, this has been great. It's been really fun for us to do a, a fiction book for once. A little bit of a different skill set. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you to our patrons, Londa, Bryn, and mm-hmm. Anonymous. And follow us on our social media. We have over 20 followers on Twitter, which I think is groundbreaking. I'm pumped. Wow. It's life-changing. And next mm. week, we are reading Piranesi. Yes. Biases. What are we clock. reading after that? I'm sorry. I'm just having a mental breakdown. <laughs> after that, we're going to read Cattle Hall by Jasmine Ward. <laughs> and what are we going to read after that? Let's just lay it I all out. Antica without inspection. Thank you, everybody. <laughs> It's been a good time. I hope you had a good time. I sure did. I sure did as well. Good night, everyone. Or good day. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Bye. Bye.